This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So this morning I got up really early because Baruch Hashem, one of my Talmidim, made a bris. Baby's name was Yisrael Meir. Is, not was. Yisrael Meir Ben Shmuel. Beautiful. So they, so they, um, so the Bala Bris, Shmuel, got up to speak first. And um, I spoke second, so I'm going to tell you what I said, but first I'm going to tell you what he said. So he said the following, he, he, he came from a non-firm background, nothing, zero, and today he gives shirim from, I don't know if it's Kafkazian or Russian, Bukharian, whatever, it's a big, big, big tzaddik, Shmuel's a big tzaddik, and he's listening to the shir, so I'm telling you that Shmuel's a big tzaddik. Now, um, so... I'll tell you afterwards why I'm telling you the story that he said. So he got up and he said a story that said the following. He said, first of all, which you say by verse, you thank Hashem. Um, and he said the following story. He said, there was a king. I'm listening, he's telling the story. He said, there was a king. And he went out, he went out, I don't know if he went out hunting, but he went out and all his soldiers went with him. And all of a sudden, they got attacked by a pack of wolves like a lot a lot of wolves and the horses right they're so wolves they started running and all the horses and all the king's men they're running you know Humpty Dumpty right you all know Humpty Dumpty I, I just told this to a girl I blew her away on this I, I, I had this girl that came to me whatever and we're talking a 16 year old girl whatever it is and, 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 and my mother doesn't do this and my father doesn't do this and my teacher doesn't do that the old generation this generation of blaming everyone but yourself so she's like, blamed everybody, everybody. It's not her, and not her son. She's great, but everyone around her is like terrible. So I said, you know, you know the story of, you know the story of Humpty Dumpty? She looks at me, she came to talk to Rob Walsh and he's gonna, Humpty Dumpty? I said, let me, sing, let me sing you this song. She goes, are you serious? I'm like, I said, yeah. I said, I want to sing you this song. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. I said, when I was a child and I heard that story, I thought it was very strange. Very, very negative. The same amount of words they could have sang. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men put Humpty Dumpty back together again. You, you're singing this to a kid. So like, why? Why does this song have to say they couldn't put it back? The poor kid's thinking about this Humpty Dumpty. Right? Oh my gosh, nobody can help him. How is the kid supposed to grow up? You know, if I fall, nobody can help me. She's looking at me like I am totally sugar, right? I said, so I had a kasha as a kid. Why don't they say all the king's hands all could put Humpty Dumpty back together? I said, because whoever wrote this song was very smart. And he was teaching every single kid that all the king's horses and all the king's men, they can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Only Humpty Dumpty can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. She's like, you look so deep into a song? I'm like, yeah, yeah, because yeah, you're waiting around, I said, you're falling, and you're waiting around for me, and your mother, and your father, and your therapist, and everyone else to put you back together again, all the king's horses, and all the king's men, horses don't, right, why, why do you say all the king's horses, horses can't put things back together again, but horses is something you say, uh, again, shot, something that you ride, right, so even the thing that you ride that's carrying you through getting you from one place to the next, when it, when you fall and you crack and half, you got to put you. They can help you, but who can put them put, put back? You have you have to do the work. And that's one of the biggest problems today. One of the biggest problems today. Nobody wants to do the work. I was in a car. I'm looking for a new car. So yesterday I went to see a Jeep Cherokee SRT. Now the SRT, I've never seen anything like this thing. The SRT is 500 horsepower. The engine is, the whole car is shaking in, in idle. But let me tell you about this crazy car. First of all, it parks itself. Number one. Okay? So that Lexus has, it parks itself. But it doesn't really park itself. It has, that if you're driving, and if this button is on, and you're driving, and somebody cuts in front of you, right? Cuts in front of you, the sensors, the car, the car, it's like steps on the brake for you. Faster than, than you could. It's electronic, so it, it'll, it'll step on the brake faster than you could so you don't have a collision. It's crazy. And then it has something called, I forgot what it said, at the light, 
Right? When the light turns green, it takes off. I forgot what it's called. There's a name for it. It's a, it, it takes off. It's crazy. The whole thing is crazy. I was sitting in this car. It's a, it's a, it's a Jeep, but it's made by Chrysler. I don't know where it's made, whatever it is. And I'm like, you don't have to do anything. If you, if you, um, go out of your lane into the yellow light, it sees the yellow thing, it sees it right away. It starts beeping or it moves you back. It moves you back. The steering wheel is, it's a crazy car. And, and it's, so, but that's the whole generation. The whole generation is, right? And I'm like, so the guy says, now the cruise control is electronically, it's like a crazy cruise control. If you put it on cruise, it pretty much drives itself. In other words, cruise today, it, if you step on your brakes, the cruise is off. But in this cruise control, you're just in a cruise, and if someone cuts in front, it, and it'll, you'll, you put it 200 feet away, 100 feet away from the car, whatever it is, and it will drive. And if anyone cuts in front of you, it will slow it down, and then when the car moves a little ahead, it'll move it up. You don't have to do anything. So it's really nice and it's very cool, but I said to him, I, I really like to drive. I like to drive my car. I said, your car drives me. My car, I drive it. I said, I don't know if I want to give that all up. You know? The real drivers, they drive shift. Why do they drive shift? They don't drive automatic. Because they want to drive. Right? So in life, we're getting used to sitting back in this chair and everything being done for you. No shift, automatic, everything's automatic, everything's food's automatic, learning, everything's automatic, everything's being done for you, everything's being fed to you. So it loses its, uh, you know, it sort of loses its meaning. Well, how did I get onto the subject? Anyone remember? What? Oh, Humpty Dumpty, right. So, so getting back to Humpty Dumpty, you have to put yourself together again. You gotta do the work. You gotta work. Yeah, you gotta do the work. It takes work. It really does. It takes work. Everything takes work. There's a, there's a, I think I told you this, but this, this is for me, cause I, I like sports and I'm, I'm, I used to be an athlete anyway. Um, so there's this guru in California and he makes, an a- athlete, he makes champions. He's known to make champions. He's one of the biggest superstars in football and basketball and all the sports. He is the guru. To make them not a regular, but to make an all pro, to make champ, he makes champions. They said the names of, of who he has, but the biggest of the big. So everybody wants to learn by him. Cause, because if you learn by him, you're not saying I'm gonna be an athlete, you're gonna be a superstar, you're gonna be a Michael Jordan, you're gonna be like a superstar in baseball, whatever it is. So it's very hard, it's very, he's very expensive, he's very, very expensive. And he only trains a certain amount of guys a year. Anyway, so this is one football player, and he's coming out of college, just read this whole thing, he's coming out of college, and um he, he wants to be a superstar. He doesn't want to just be a regular football player. He wants to be a superstar. So he, uh, I don't know what the guru charges, whatever it is, and he decides he's, he gets an appointment with this guy. He's going to have an interview because the guru doesn't just teach anybody. You know, you got to really have what it takes. Whoever he produces is a superstar, so he can't have any losers. So he first gives you, he gives you an interview. So he tells this guy to meet him on Malibu Beach, right, in California, and, and, and come in your bathing suit. That's it, just your bathing suit. Guy's thinking about Michigan, what kind of guru is this, right? This is a, a football player. So, okay. He meets this Chinese guy, right, or a Jab- Chinese guy, whatever it is, looks like a samurai, whatever it is. And he's standing by the water, he says, hi, how are you? They shake hands. My name is this, my name is that. So, um, you want to become a, you want to become a world champion. You want to become the best at what you do. And he goes, yes, sir. He goes, okay. He says, what do you want me to do? I said, you told me to come in my shorts and you want me to run, you want me to run? Yeah, I could do like a half a mile, eight seconds, whatever, you know, I could, I could sprint, whatever. He goes, no, no, no. He says, come, let's go into the water. So they go into the water. They go deeper and deeper. This guy's looking at the goo. He says, okay, you want to, you want me to teach me something? He says, no, no, just keep, let's go, keep going. Anyway, they go into the water. The water's up to this guy's neck. It's like Nachshan in the, in the, in the, in the yam. And the water's up to his neck. And he says, okay, now, I want you to put your head under the water and hold your breath for as long as you can. Okay. He puts his head under the water. He holds his breath. And this guru, this guy, puts his hands on this guy's head and holds him down. And the guy's drowning. The guy's like struggling and struggling. He's trying to get air and he's holding him down. He's already held his breath for so long. And he's thrashing and thrashing and he's holding him down. He's killing him. He's almost killing him. And like the last second before this guy just fades out and faints, he lets go. And this guy comes up out of the water, <gasps> grabbing, gasping, grabbing air. 
Well, what are you doing? Crazy? You're trying to kill me? What, what kind of guru? What kind of nonsense? I'll wait till you calm down. The guy catches his breath. His number's blue. Catches his breath. He goes, I'll tell you what I just did for you. He says, when you want to win as much as you need it to breathe, that's when you'll be a champion. He says, you remember, you want to win as much as you need it to, to get it to breathe, then you'll be a champion. Until then, it's a waste of time. The, the, the need for that air was, I mean, the last second, it was like, it was everything in this world. And this is what he explains, he explains afterwards, he says, he says, let's think about that. You know, I'm into this, I, when I read this, I'm like fascinated. He says, let's think about that last second, that, that last second before you got that, before you got that breath. Was there any, Money in your life? Were there, I don't want to say what else he asked, right? Were there any made look in your life? Were there any skyscrapers and beautiful buildings in your life? Was there anyone in your life? Or just air? What were you thinking? There was nothing in your world at that point except to take a breath. He said, when there's nothing in your world except winning, then you'll become one of my students. Until then, I have nothing to teach you. And he walked away. When you're on that level, imagine in Yiddish guy, guys, when there's nothing in this world but me and God. When I, you, know, you know how I read things and then I shift them. Right? I'm reading this and I'm like, oh man, that's what it's talking about. There's no money, there's no houses, there's nothing. Just tired. When you need Tyra as much as you need to breathe, when you need God, when you need a connection as much as you need to take that breath, then, then, you, then, you're, then you're a champion, then you're a superstar, then you are where you need to be. And, and there were many good Dalim that said that, um, uh, that their Torah was their Olam Hazer. They were like, I understand, how do these people have, like they have nothing in this world, like the Rishmo Bermam said it, they have nothing in this world, in this world, not in the next world, you have nothing in this world, you don't have Torah, like, car? I mean, you should never know from that, you can imagine this guy, he wasn't thinking car, money, news, CNN, iPhone, he's under the water, he needs a breath, or he's dead, he's just thinking, breathe. When you get to a level where you just thinking, Hashem, Torah, I need this to live, I need this to breathe, then you know you're where you're supposed to be. There's nothing else in the world. And there are people that get down that hit that spot. We're not on that spot, whatever it is, but you don't have to hold your head under to the last second, but, you know, you held your breath. You gotta come up for air. So that, that's, uh, just something I was reading and I was like, I was like, first of all, the guy's a godl, a godl on what he does. It's godless. There's no, no gym. No, no workout. He just took him to the ocean. It's all psychological. He just took him to the ocean. It's godless. It's like, wow. We can end the shit here and go home and have something to, to work on. It's like godless. Right? So maybe when you go Friday to the mikvah, stay under until the last second. So you need that breath. And then you can remember that if you need Tyra, you need Hashem as much as you need that to be in your life, you know, you'll be okay. And then you'll be mikvahized also. That'll be good. Don't stay too long, but... Godless. Anyway, now what does that do it this morning? I have no idea. Anyway, so let's go back. I, it was just, I don't know, so I was telling you about the car. Right, so, so, and, and about not, not having to do anything and letting everything happen for you. You, you can't grow that way. You, it's very comfortable, it's very nice. You, you can't grow that way. You cannot grow that way. You have to, you have to do something. And anyone who really is in touch with life wants to drive a car, wants to drive a shift. I don't want you parking my car and shifting lanes and slowing down. I mean, that's good with the collision thing. That's good. But I, I am driving since I'm 16. So you're talking 41 years. I never used cruise ever on a highway. I've driven to Baltimore. I got to feel that, that when I let go of the gas, it, the car slows down. I don't like, I don't like the gas pedal moving on its own. I can't do that. I can't do it. I want to drive. So in life, you can't be on cruise control. We'll call that the name of the share tonight. You can't be on cruise control in life. Right? That's the name of the share. You can't be on cruise control. You gotta drive the car. You gotta make it happen. Humpty Dumpty's gotta put himself back together again. 
And today, that's, nobody wants to do anything. You, you can't grow. You can't lift weights for me. If I want to have muscles, you guys can't lift weights for me. I got to lift the weights. You can't lose weight. You can't lose. You can't lose weight for me either. You can all go on diets. I'm not going to get any thinner. So there are there are things in the physical world. If I don't do it myself, right? Every action has a reaction. If I don't do it myself, it's not going to happen. And the physical and spiritual is the same thing. There are things in the spiritual world. If I don't, you can't do chuva for me. You can't. You can't connect to Hashem for me. I got to do that. I got to do the work. You know, that's that's part. That's part of what you have to do. So that's. Yeah, there's no cruise control in, in, in spirituality either. You can't just cruise along. You have to, you know, there's always the same. I remember you used to say that, that if you stay still, you end up falling. Right? If you stay still, you, you end up falling. You can't stay still. Just like the same thing in exercise. Same thing, physical, spiritual world, they both. Anyway, so this, so this Shmuel is telling you a story today. So you have these wolves. You should be, you're all very lucky that Rebbe is ADD. Because if I wasn't ADD, I would stay on my subject and it'd be boring. Because I'm ADD, I start off talking about wolves. I end up in a SRT, right, uh, a Jeep, uh, Cherokee. I end up with Humpty Dumpty. I'm all over the place. That's so. You know what? And the bris, right? So I'm saying so. So you know, every every t- hardship in life has a good side to it. So even being ADD makes you exciting because because you can't stand one subject. <laughs> anyway, that's why usually I write notes just to be able to get back to to like what, what, what were you talking about? Right? It happens to be that I gave a very big speech not that long ago um, up in the mountains, and I totally went off to the left, and I couldn't come back. I didn't know. I didn't know what I was, and I couldn't ask. There were like six hundred women. Like, what was I saying? Right? So I was like, I was like spinning and spinning and spinning, trying to find back my way. They must have all thought I was crazy. I never went back to the subject. I couldn't get back. I couldn't get back to the reason why I told them the story. They were all looking at me strange. I was like, okay, that's part of it. Hashem. Anyway, that's the same thing. I had ADD as a kid, right? And and it's very hard to sit and learn because the minute the teacher switches, you can't come back. So you start dreaming. And, and you, you learn how to use your disabilities to... You, your greatest ability is how to use your disability. It makes you different, right? It makes everyone different. Okay, so anyway, let's go back to the story. So these wolves, right? These wolves are um, attacking the king. And all the horses are... You want the base medish? You want the base medish? The, 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 um, so, so, the, so all the horses are running, and now the king is all alone being chased by a bunch of wolves on his horse, and all the soldiers are all gone. And there's a shepherd out there in the, in the woods, or in the pasture, wherever the, the king ends up in his pasture, and these wolves are running after him, and the shepherd always deals with wolves. And he's got his dogs, and his sheep, whatever it is. He has no problem getting rid of them. He knows exactly how to get rid of them. His, his, his shepherd dogs, and whatever it is, and all these wolves run away, and he saves the king. And the king's like, I don't know who you are, but for saving my life, I want you to come to the palace. To make long story short, this is the guy, this Shmuel was saying this morning, he comes to the palace, and he makes him like second in command, he buys him gold and silver and all kinds of things. And, uh, meanwhile, the ministers of the, of the kingdom, they're like, who's this shepherd he made, you know, they're jealous. So they want to get him into trouble with the king, but him and the king are very, very close. And then one day, one of the, one of the ministers sees that, this guy, right, in the morning, like around 8 o'clock, goes into a room and locks it behind him. And nobody has a key to that room but him. And every single day at the same time, he goes into that room. So he comes to the king and he says, remember that shepherd that saved you that, you know, you're very close to? Well, I want you to know that I think he's planning to kill you. I think he's making weapons because nobody in the whole palace has a key to that room but him. So he's hiding something in that room. I think, you know, because they wanted to make a fight between the two of them. Anyway, so the king calls him in, and this, this guy said by the bris this morning. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, wow, this is my man. A story in the morning with the king, right? A story that I never heard. So he says, so the, so the king calls him in and says, you know, um, I gave you everything. Houses and gold and silver. I took you from a shepherd and made you into a minister. Why are you planning to kill me? He says, what are you talking about? I'm planning to kill you. I'm not planning to kill you. He says, yeah, so what's in that room every morning? You go in at 9 o'clock to that room every single morning, and nobody else has the key, not even me. What are you hiding in that room? So he says, come with me. I'll show you. He takes the king to the room. He opens the room. There is nothing in the room. Just hanging on the wall is the clothing that this the shepherd was wearing when the king met him. 
you know, shepherd clothing, very poor skins and stuff like that. And the king's like, what's that? He says, every single day, I want to remember where I came from. So before my day starts, I come into this room and I close the door and I sit down and I look at what I used to wear and I remember how poor I was and I remember the cold nights and I remember what I smelled like after being with the sheep and I remember my hut and I thank God, you know, after I spend the half an hour in there, I remember what I was, I remember what I am and I thank God for where I am. And the king's in this room, and he sees it. Tataka, that's all that's there is this clothing, this jacket that he, you know, that the shepherd used to wear. And the king said, I'm really sorry for, you know, being chayshu, for thinking that you were planning to kill me. And that's an amazing attribute, which brings me to the point why I'm telling you the story. I, he, he said the story this morning. The reason I'm telling you this morning is that I feel the same way. Why do I feel the same way? Because Rezrat Hashem, next Friday, my book, on a lesson a day in Akarsa Tov is hitting the farm stores. And in my wildest, craziest dreams as a kid, my dream was to be a hockey player and a drummer. Never did I dream that I would get a chance to write a book for Kleistrel. Such an important book, together with Rabbi Finkelman and Akarsa Tov. And it's a game changer. It's, I hope to do what the Chavetz Chaim did for Lashon Hara, to do that for the most important ingredient in any relationship, which is gratitude. So I saw the cover of the book, and I saw the whole book, and I don't know what I should hang up in that room exactly to remind me of what I was. There's certain things I don't think I will, but, but, wow. Wow. You know, it's, 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 it's an absolute fantasy that I should be part of a safer. And Rabbi Gamliel, interesting, a year ago he said it's time, you know, you give speeches, but it's time to you to start writing. And I said, the written word is not the spoken word. The spoken word has life. Watch this tape, right? Hand movement. People have tried, right? Uh, we, I want to put out a book called Wednesdays with Wall, with Wallerstein. <laughs> Tuesdays with Wallerstein doesn't rhyme, but Wednesdays with Wallerstein, which is my, my Chabur, my, my Ornavashir. So, it'll be a great Wednesday with Wallstein, and, you know, we come up with something with Tuesday, I don't know exactly, right? Um, so, so I gave my, some of my shirim, they took it off Torah anytime, with Kolmoshin, and they wrote it. I had someone write it, and I read it, and I'm like, nah, it's dead, it's dead, it's not, it is, the written, the written word is very different than the, than the spoken word. But this safer is a, is a, is a lesson a day on, on how to show, on how to show across the top, plus, the Sefer Zikaron came out off the charts. Achashverosh, eat your heart out. This is much nicer than his book. And and um, it's very scary because I wrote the last line in the book today, the Sefer Zikaronos, and um, I opened up to make sure that I, that my memory was correct. I opened up Unasana Taikev, which is the scariest tefillah prayer on, on Yom Kippur. That was written by Nisanak Tokev, which is the whole story. They cut off his feet, they cut off his hands, they put it in right. So in there he writes that HaKadosh Baruch Hu opens his Sefer Zichronos, Yad Kol Ishbo, and everybody writes in the book with his own hands, which is exactly the, which is exactly the book that I, that I wrote. And I'm like, wow, it's like, so that's also coming out, um, I believe in the same time. So, um, two swarm. At one time, Zachary Wallstein, no, that ain't happening. It, not in my not ten years ago did I dream of it. Not five years ago that I would write that it would be safer. And so I asked Rebecca Leo, "Why do you want me to write a safer? I have all these tapes." And, and he said that the, the this is forever. A book is forever. It's always forever. Hundred years, two hundred years, five hundred years. It's forever. And he says you have to write something that you have to you know tape. I don't know what's going to be with the internet and I don't know their tapes. Maybe it will be forever. Maybe it won't be. The book is forever. So, um, so I have to create such a room where I'm going to hang up some of my old stuff and, 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 and I was a shepherd. I was a shepherd out with the wolves. And to be able to write a safer that it should be like in a bookcase with the, it's like crazy. It's not normal. So when he said it this morning at the bris, I was sitting there, I was like, I'm that shepherd. We're all that shepherd. Everyone in this room is that shepherd. 
Believe me, everyone in this room is that shepherd. You all can go into a room and hang up something from your youth and say like, I never dreamt that I'd be in yeshiva, I'd be learning, I'd be from. We all have that. Maybe maybe that we should learn from this guy. I mean, you know, it's been a half an hour, but maybe five minutes of something that we, that you used to be. And you know, and, and, and I thought about it today. I was like, wow. You know, my drum set upstairs and all my other stuff, my, my baseball glove, my sneakers, my my shorts that go down to my ankles and my cut-off t-shirts and all this stuff. And I'm like, and, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed that I, I played ball. I didn't do whatever it is. But you, you, you see your growth, you know? Like, like even a kid, you know, we all, we all used to drool. We all used to crawl, right? We used to be laying in, we used to lay in a crib and do nothing. You used to burp all the time, you know, you used to get burp you, and, and now you're a human being, and you're, you're able to help other people, and, 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 and you make up on Nasa. You were a kid, you were just a taker. As kids, you were just a taker. Look how we change. We're, we're givers, I hope, right? We, we're takers. The child only takes. He doesn't give anything. He gives agenda, but he doesn't give anything else. What does he give? He gives a dirty diaper. He doesn't give you anything. So we, we grow, and, and to be able to look at, like, I was just a taker, and now I'm a giver, and I have a mishpacha, if you have, a, if you're married, you have kids, wow. I was a single guy. I never thought about family, kids, something that would be in this world that's part of me. It's crazy. So, so, he, he, so why did he say this this morning? Because he, he didn't come from a religious home. So he's standing there and he's a firm guy and he just named his kid after the Chafetz Chaim. This role mayor. He named him after the Chafetz Chaim. It was like, not Johnny, you know? He named him after the Chafetz Chaim. So he felt that way and I, he made a, it made a very big thing on me this morning when I was sitting there. It was like, wow. That's why we all, we all have to we all have to sit in that room for a couple of minutes and where we came from and and, and, and appreciate it. Thank Hashem. You gotta know where you came from. And you gotta know where you're at. I always say you gotta know where you're going. It's not always sure where you're gonna. You gotta try. You got you gotta have a plan. My Rabbi Schwab used to say, "But don't have a plan. You have to have a plan." Okay. Anyway, so that was he. That's what he said this morning. Now I'll tell you what I said this morning. First of all, it was the shortest speech I ever made. I think it was three minutes. Usually it takes me more than ten minutes to even introduce myself, but it took me three minutes. I said like this. I said, we're here by a bris. I said, what's a bris? A bris is you cut off an arla. There's an extra piece of skin which you cut off. Why Hashem just not created for the extra skin? If it if it's really extra, if it's really extra and you cut it off, so why'd you create it with extra? Doesn't make sense. So I heard a very beautiful terrace. This is what I said this morning. I, said, I heard a very, very beautiful terrace. We want to teach a child, our child, at eight days, that perfection by a Jew is not gathering and adding, but subtracting. In other words, shlemus, being being full, is when you take something off, not when you put something on. The, the, the other world, the Western world, the non-Jew. Is what, what is, what is Shlemus? My house, I have a huge house. I bought three cars. I'm adding, I'm putting money, depositing it in my bank account, right? That's, what's success? Success is adding, 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 adding. More businesses, more, you know. By a Jew, success is taking away. Giving money away for tzedakah. Giving time away for chesed. Right? Giving yourself over to learning Torah. Not gathering, just the opposite. Not gathering, but giving. Right? What do they say? They say, um, if you want to know if someone, it's, it's, it's like a, they say, put out your hand. So if you put out your hand like this, you tell somebody, you walk up to somebody, you walk, come home tonight, try it with your wife. Tell your wife, put out your hand. So they say, if you put, if she, right, you're not telling her how to put out her hand. So if the person puts out their hand like this, right, you're a giver. No, not a taker, they're a giver. If the person puts out their hand like this, without telling them how to put their hand, they're a taker. It's not true. It's, I, I don't believe in it, but it's pretty. But it's pretty. It's, it's, it's interesting. I did it in my class in school. And you want to know something? Like eighty percent of it was true. I know the kids. The guy, the givers, the give, the givers were all like this. I didn't tell them what the givers. I didn't tell them what's right, what's wrong. I said, okay, everyone in your class, put out your hands. And I looked around the room, and the givers were like this, and the, most of the takers were like this. Interesting. It's an interesting thing. It's interesting. Now you can't do it to each other because you know. <laughs> Most women put out their hands like this. But it's interesting. Mostly. We're not. What? That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. Why, you put, why does it go like this? You go like this. 
when you when you this father when you dive in and you want money geshem whatever it is you go like this that's, they put out their hands like this many times I see that by davening to give Hashem should rain rain down Hashem should rain down right it must be like, rain down on me Hashem's like this the rain comes from here you're gathering the rain that's giving the rain so now all of a sudden everyone who's watching Torah anytime you're all going to run home put out your hands you see I'm giving give it you take it nah, that's it whatever I don't know if it's true it's not it's whatever it's interesting now now the most interesting person right and if this happens you need to call me immediately the most interesting person puts out their hand like this <laughs> now when you get one of these please call me immediately right give her and a taker give her and a taker well like this that means forget about it <laughs> have a good day okay anyway so so that's that's the Indian of a bris the Indian of a bris is Hashem gives us something extra so so we at the bridge we're making a simcha by cutting something away Yiddishkeit is, 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 is don't eat so much you know what I mean don't cutting away the opposite not adding adding eat getting fat fat but just the opposite cutting away cutting away what does it mean cutting away it means that first of all we're not, we don't live in the gashmius world that much and we we give we, 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 we the more you give the more you give from your bank account the right, the better you are, not the more you take into your bank account. Right? It doesn't say on anybody's stone, on anybody's, uh, what's it called, headstone in a graveyard. This is, this, here lay, lies so and so who has $40 million in his bank. But it does say on almost every third stone, here lies someone who was raised of tzedakah, who was raised of chesed. It doesn't, it's not, it's not a thing in Yiddishkeit how much money you have. Just the opposite. It's how much money you give away. Because what you have, what you, what you what you give away is yours, and what you have is not yours. In other words, because it can be taken away. What's the, what's the translation of something that's yours? Something that's mine, you can't take away. If it's mine, you can't take it away, right? So, tzedakah that I give away, right? Nobody can take that. You can't take that source from me. I gave it away. But the money that I have, you could steal. I could lose it. There's many different ways, right? So if I could lose it. And, and, and it can be taken away from you, then it's not mine. So that what you give away is yours, what is yours is given away. It's a lot of cup here tonight, you can't be so tired. You have to, we start with Humpty Dumpty, we're getting much deeper than Humpty Dumpty, right? So again, what you give away is yours. What is yours, you end up giving away. Right? Famous story with the Chafetz Chaim. I say it over and over and over, it's so true. Chafetz Chaim got up after Shul and he said, to a big place, he went somewhere and he said, you need to know that you have no money whatsoever. That a riot to that is that a person could lose all their money in one minute. So this one man went over to the Chabad Chaim and he said, it's not true, Rabbi, with all respect, I have 23 banks in 23 countries. I understand that God could take away all my money, but it's going to take him a while. 23 banks can't go bankrupt in one second. So the Chabad Chaim looked at him and he smiled and he said, who said God has to take the money away from you? It only takes one second for God to take you away from the money. Heart attack, goodbye. One second. So, you're thinking 23 banks have to close. No, you just have to have a heart attack. And you're gone. It takes one second. So then it's not yours. But if you gave away to the doctor, the person dies, that's his money. What you give away is yours. So anyway, so that was a kabana of, of, of the brismila of cutting away, taking away is shlamus, is, 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 um, is fulfillment. You can't eat food, right, in Eretz Yisrael if you don't give truma. So truma and maisa, by giving away, it makes it possible for you to have that. Not by gathering more and more makes it possible. You can gather a billion bales of, of, of wheat, but if you don't give truma, you can't eat it. So the giving away of the truma, that's what, that's what makes it, that's what makes it possible to eat. The opposite. Okay. Now, uh, this week's parasha, how long are we on? We want to make sure we don't break our time tonight. What? 34, 34 minutes. Okay, we still have 15 minutes. So, uh, 10 minutes. Okay, anyway, so it says the following. Um, and then I, I have a crazy, crazy story tonight. This is also I said by the bris. So this week's parasha starts with the following. He says, 
today, look, I am giving to you today a bracha, a curse, and a, and a, a bracha, a blessing, and a klala. Es ha bracha. The bracha is, if you're gonna to listen to the mitzvahs of Hashem, your God, that I command you today, and that's the end of the Pasuk. It doesn't tell us what the bracha is. That's haklala, haklala, haklala. And the klala is, if you're not going to listen to the mitzvahs of Hashem, you're going to go off the You're going to go after other gods. That's the way you that you don't know what's the curse. End of the Pasuk. And the Pasuk goes off on a whole new subject. When you're going to come, to the land of Israel, we're going to give you a blessing on Hargizim and a klala har evil and a curse on har evil. And it doesn't say anything about a curse, what it's going to be. It doesn't say anything about a bracha. So it says, Ray, I'm giving you a bracha, and the bracha is if you listen to Hashem, and then it doesn't tell us the bracha, and then it says, and the curse is if you, if you don't listen to Hashem, and then it tells us the curses. So why, why is the Prophet doing that? And the terrace is very beautiful. Yes? It would be like almost uh, no, it says it says um, in the other parashas that if you keep the Torah in the if you bracha, your field will grow and the, you'll eat a little bit of food and it'll fill you up. And you're going to have rain in the right time. The Torah tells us reward and the the curse is you're not going to have rain and your enemies are going to going to kill you. And so, what's going on over here? Terrence is beautiful, listen guys. What is the bracha? Es ha bracha? The biggest bracha is if you keep the mitzvahs. Not if you keep the mitzvahs. This is what is, this is what you're gonna get for it. That in itself is the biggest bracha. Tzaddikim are happy. Rapam was happy all his life. Ramesha Feinstein was happy all his life. They're happy. They're keeping the Torah they close to They're happy people. They didn't do drugs. And they didn't do pills. And they didn't go for therapy. And they didn't uh, have TVs and all that other stuff. And they were very, very happy people. So the Torah is telling us a secret. That the bracha is keeping the mitzvahs. What is the biggest klala? That if you don't keep the mitzvahs, you're going to be cursed. The curse is if you don't keep the mitzvahs, that is the curse. So now you take a shot. It's so true. If you have time, there's an 11 o'clock share in Shemir Shabbat on 53rd Street and 13th Avenue every single day. And not in the summer. The summer's not that many people. It's an 11 o'clock share from 11 to 12.30. Okay? No, in the morning. Who comes to 11 o'clock to 12.30? Retired people. Right? Old people. You come after the summer in Elul, at 11 o'clock that shul is packed. There's no one under 85 years old sitting there. And they're sitting there, and you, if you go in there, you will, you'll be beyond yourself. They're sitting there with the Gemara's open, and these 85-year-olds are learn, there's somebody giving a share, and they're arguing like they're 10-year-old, like they're 15-year-old guys. And they are so happy. Then you drive up to Maimonides five blocks from there, and go to the geriatric center for the old people, and they're all sitting in their wheelchairs with their head down, Miserable. The bracha is not learning Torah. The klala is not learning Torah. The biggest bracha, you want to see the biggest bracha? You talk about 85 year old guy, and, and let me tell you something, they're limping in. There are, there are so many non-Jews learning Gemara, because most of these guys have someone wheeling them in. Mamish, they're, they're, they're wheeling in, they can't walk. They can't walk. They, they're, they're, it's a bracha, and they're arthritic, they're diabetic. They're all there, they're learning for that hour. Forget about it. Shavua first, and then Gemara. It's something to see. You will, you, you, you'll see what a Jew, ha- what happens to a Jew when they get older. Then go to the old age. There's a brach and they're broken. There's one woman that's happy. She drew a cat. She drew a cat. Baruch Hashem. Very, very big difference. Rav Shadran told a story about where he went to visit this. He went to visit. I said this maybe 15 years ago. I heard on one of his tapes. In Eretz Yisrael, Rav Shadran. So he went to an old age home. There was a very big tzaddik in this old age home. He was like 90 years old, and they couldn't take care of him anymore. So he was in this old age home, and he, he was a big tzaddik. So he, he went to visit him. He went to get a bracha, whatever it is. So he asked him, he walked in, where's Rav Ichka, whatever his name is. He said he's in the basement. He's in the synagogue, in the basement. He goes into the basement, he says, and he was sitting there learning and saying the Gemara out loud. And Rav Shadron said, I, I couldn't disturb him. 
I don't want to disturb him. He was learning, and he was like, he was screaming and learning, and he was so happy, and he said, I couldn't disturb him. He said, so I went out to the porch, and I figured with another half an hour to lunch, I'll wait till lunch, he'll be finished learning, and then I'll say, Shalom Aleichem, I'll get a brach. He says, Rav Shadron said, you should hear it in Ivrit, it's very funny. He says, he sits, he, he sits, he sits on this porch. He says, and there's like four old ladies and one old man, five people sitting on the porch, right? And one of them says, 55! The other one goes, no! You know the story. No, it's not 55, it's 52! And the other old needler says, what are you talking about 52? 56! And they're all fighting there. And he's like, their mama's killing each other fighting. You're stupid, you're this, you're, you can't see, you're that. He's like, what, what, what? Like, 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 like there's, there's a whole big mice. He's like, what are they fighting about? Anyway, so he walks over, it's now it's lunchtime, right? So he walks over to the man and he says, you seem to be very agitated, you know, what, what are you, what's going on? What's 56, 52, 53? He says, no, 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 you can't bother me right now, we're very busy. He says, no, just, I, I, just tell me what's, he says, we're here since 9 o'clock this morning on the porch. I say there was 56 buses that went by. I promise you, on the tape. And she's like, no, Yaakov, 52, you can't count. That's what they're doing at the end of their life. They're sitting on a porch, counting buses. And he's sitting inside, learning Torah, happy, excited, and they're yelling and calling each other names. He said they were calling each other crazy bad names. You're this, you're a tippish, you're stupid, you're blind, you're that. That's why I don't want to be next to you, you can't count. He's like, what are you fighting about counting? You're counting buses. The biggest bracha is to learn Torah and to go and to do the mitzvahs. Yep. And he says, interesting, he says, if you're not going to listen to the mitzvahs, what's the end of the pasuk? You're going to end up going achre el kim achrem. You're going to end up doing avodah zara. You think it's just that you didn't listen to it? I put on my tzitzes. Today I put on my tzitzes. In the end, the klala is, the curse is, that from this is going to come, avera gores avera, from this is going to come another avera. So that's what I said this morning by the verse. It didn't take me as long as it just took me now, but that's what I said. Okay, let's end with a Nebuchadnezzar story. Abbas Chaim. I never said this story. I actually learned it much of Shabbos from Malav Malka. I learned it Malav Malka. So it's not such a short story, but I'm going to make it as short and I'm going to lose your attention because I'm going to be reading from inside. But trust me, this one is worth listening to. Okay? So he says the following story. And it's an important story. He says that um, there's a story about a person who was a big Yerush Shemayim. He was, a, he was a good man. He feared God. And the government or someone came up with a, an accusation against him and he didn't know what to do. So they said, you got to go to a big lawyer. Otherwise, you're going to be put in jail. On his way to the lawyer, there was a very big tzaddik who was called the Saba Kadisha. Very famous. He wasn't only a big tzaddik, he was a huge makubal. He said, you know what? Maybe I'll go to the Saba, to the, to the Saba Kadisha before I go to the lawyer. Maybe he'll pray for me and I won't have to go to the lawyer. So he comes to the Saba Kadisha and he says, do me a favor, save me because the, the kingdom, the, the, the malchus, the government um, found stolen goods in my in my orchard and I knew nothing about this someone planted it there so maybe you could do something for me um, I can't I can't get you to I can't no matter how much I'm going to pray I can't get you to be found innocent I can't do that but I'll try to make it that it won't be so hard. They won't be so hard on you. You're going to end up in jail for three months. That's what he told them. Okay. He, the Saba Kadisha looked at the forehead. He was able to read the lines of the forehead. He looked at the forehead of this person and he said, you know what? I could get it down to a month. But I cannot get you free. So when this guy heard that, he said, are you kidding me? Those jails in those days were a month. Is, you're pretty much in big trouble. So he said to Saba Kedisha, I understand. You got it down to a month. Can't you get it? Get, I didn't do it. It was 
Somebody planted this in my in my courtyard, in my in my field. What did I do? What I sin? I I'm I'm innocent. He said he really didn't do it. I'm innocent. Why do I have to be punished if I didn't do something? I'm only Sabakadisha. Sabakadisha told him, I was in jail. He was a huge Sadiq and a huge Makobo. I was in jail for two months. And they really gave me a very hard time. And I was tested for no reason. Okay, those two months. From, from the 20th of Sivan to the 15th of Av. So you have Sivan, Thomas Av. Sometimes a Tzadik has to suffer for Klai Yisrael. So he told him the following story. He said, I was in Golos, and I was in Russia. Um, white Russia. Where's that, White Russia? What? Belarus. He said, I was in White Russia. And it was Friday night. And I found the Jewish home, and he and I went into the house, and I was there. For, I came for Shabbos. And there was another guest in this Jew's house, and he looked like a good man. And a tamachacham, bal payus v'zakin yafa, his long payus and a beautiful beard. Umehuda, he looked well kept. Umishkafayim sonzav hayolo, he had gold glasses. He was dressed very well. I didn't know who he was. He was a Ramai and a Ganav. I didn't know. He had payas and a beard and gold glasses. Saturday night, this other guy stole from the owner of the house a silver cup. And 12 spoons or forks? What's cup the else? What? Spoons. And 12 silver spoons. Okay, but he didn't know. The rabbi didn't, didn't know. And he asked me, where am I going? I'm going to somewhere. I'm going to go. Can I go with you? We went together. I didn't know that he fooled me. And I, I decided I'll go with him. Why should I go alone? Meanwhile, this guy stole from the silver. He said, and we're traveling, and this man that I'm going with, the Sabakadisha says, he keeps turning around, looking over his shoulder. Sadak Far, towards the, towards the city that we just left. I didn't think about asking him, why do you keep turning around? He says, we were one mile out, there was a huge forest. And this other guy that was with me saw another wagon coming really fast after us. Amali, he said to me, I don't feel well. My stomach hurts me. I'm going to the woods to go to the bathroom. Please wait for me. Okay? And he, and he left his bag, and in the bag was a silver, but he didn't know. And I don't know, I'm standing there waiting, and the the owner of the house comes with straight to with a cop, a policeman. They come get off the wagon, they start looking around by me. And they find it in the suitcase, and they thought he took it. They beat me. They tied my hands, they rattled my feet. They beat me very hard. They brought me back to the city. While they were going back, I said, I'm not the Ganov. And the, the guy who owns this, he went into the bathroom in the woods. And I was waiting for him. They started laughing at me. Great story. Yeah, I went to the bathroom in the woods. So he said, if you were telling us the truth, why don't you tell us, why are you waiting till now? Why don't you tell us when we... When we first caught you, we were ran after him. If we were to see if your story is true, now we're not going to find him. You're a liar. If you're the now you're just doing to save yourself. You have a beard and payas, and and you look like my rebbe, and you stole from me, and you and you pay me back uh, bad for good, bad for good. I realized. Sabagadisha said, I realize these guys are not listening to me. I 
I was quiet, said the Sabbath Kedisha, when I said to God, even though he knew he didn't do anything wrong, Tzadik Yashu, God is righteous. They put me into the base HaKel, into the jail, so rates him of murderers, and when they saw me, um, when the when the people that were in jail saw me, oh, we got a new one. A Jew in Zakan Upeyes, Aruchasba, a Jew with a long beard and payas, they keep Oisirim, they surrounded me. We have a rule in jail that when a new guy comes, he has to pay this amount of money. She should be part of our group. And if you don't pay us, you are Hefker. I started to cry since Sam Kadisha. Shaili Kesef, I don't have money. I don't want to be your friends. I don't have money and I don't want to be your friends. One took, pulled my payas from the right side, the other one took my payas from the left side. And the third one pulled my beard. He said it was so painful. And they started to beat me. I lifted my eyes to Hashem. I belong to you. And my payas and my beard belong to you. I say no man shimcha, do this for you, but I'll usually be a day my gala skaila. Don't let them touch me. I see me beat the shani mispalo shamayim. When the other jailbirds, when they saw I was diving to Shamayim, Hilschik Lishik Biyasa says they began to laugh even more. Like Skabu Shlesha Nashim and three men came, I view Safsal Echab Yimidu Bamsa Khaida and uh they 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 put a uh uh a chair, Safsal a chair, a bench in the middle of the room. And they laid me down on the bench. The three of them sat on me. One of them was very fat. It was like mamash malchamavos. He said, "They sat on my head with all his strength." Another one started to punch me with all his strength. Oh, that's my word from Tisha B'av. And all of a sudden there was a Tsa'aka G'dayla, Shinishma B'chol Beis HaKel, Upashat Ayah Makam, and everyone started to scream because the jail started to shake. What happened? They saw that the one who hit me, who punched me, he fell and he fainted, and his hand that had hit me, was full of blood. And his hand sort of fell apart. The hand that hit him, that hit the Sabah Kedisha, it was full of like knife marks. It was like cut into little pieces. So the rest of them, right? God, all your enemies should look like that. And they took him right away to the hospital. And then everybody ran away from me. And they wouldn't come near me. The rest of the time in jail, I sat in a corner, quietly. Um, I heard them, the jail guys, the prisoners talking between themselves. One said I was a witch. One said I'm a tzaddik. They're all trying to figure out who I was. Everyone stayed away from me. They gave me respect, and every time they saw me pray, because of what happened last time, they became very scared. Why are you currently rabbi? I was mechubed by them now, and they gave me respect. Now listen to this. Between all these prisoners, there was one that uh, his name was Gogenik. Russian name. I thought he was not Jewish. That was his name. He, he told me that he's a Jew, but he gave it all up. One night I got up in the middle of the night to say, They're all sleeping. This, this guy who I thought was a guy was awake. He came to me secretly. He whispered to me. He was a Jew who was a who was a yasam, right? Uh, orphan from his father and his mother. We kept Nusay when he was very little. The, the priest took him. And he grew up by them. And when he, when he grew up, 
when he became big, he married a non-Jewish woman. And now he's sitting in jail because he's told. Now I understood why he didn't do anything wrong in Kedisha. Now I understood why God put me in this jail. Just for this Jew. To save a Jew, we take a tumor from this tumor. He looked at me and he cried. I said I should fix him. And I began to speak to him. So nobody would wake up. He told me that he, he has to be in jail for three years. He's only one year in. He still has two more years. He has two children. He wants to do tshuva, but he can't separate himself from his non-Jewish wife and his non-Jewish children. When I realized that he, him leaving his children was harder than his wife, I started to tell him he has to do tshuva. And what's the end of a human being? The second night, he told me that last night, this, this non-from guy, told the, the Sabbath Kedisha that the night before his father came to him in a dream from the other world listen my son listen to, my, listen to me my son Yaakov this man the Sabbath Kedisha is in jail because of you whatever he tells you listen if you don't listen to him I don't know what this means. In your sleep, I will choke you. His father said. So then he started to do tshuva, and I told him the olive bays of Kriyashma became a how you do it. He didn't know nothing. I told him how to daven. He stopped eating unkosher food. He began to fast on Mondays and Thursdays. And sooner he brought his bed next to my bed. And he would cry to Hashem every night. One night. One day he gets a letter from his wife. Oh, he cuts Terrible thing happened. Keep his mantra. He nice and ragola. They were traveling in a wagon. The, the wagon went off the mountain. And both his children were killed. And his wife is critically injured. And, and she's asking for money. When I saw this letter, I said, oh, he said, and, and, and he said, after two weeks, after this whole thing happened, it was the 15th day of Av, we just had it, right? Two Av, in the middle of the night, an old man came into this prison. The Hake is icy, the Sabbath condition said, he woke me up, Mishnasi, Ramali, Mato Asakan, Kumahev, Asalir, Zeptailin, Kisham Tsarhatalias, Shamish. And this, whoever this was, told him, let's go. You don't belong here anymore. He caught me, Shnasi, I woke up. This old man told me, tomorrow, just leave, don't worry about anything. And take this man with you. This one that did true. We came to the first door. We found it open. All the guards were sleeping. They came to the three doors. Everybody was sleeping. They went into the midbar. Took them two days. On the third day, they, there was a wagon, and they took him to this city. And it ended up really nice. Now, he ends. So this, this person who woke them up was Eliyahu, who took them out of jail. So now the Sabbath Kedisha is telling this guy who came, who, that he's going to go for a month, I don't know why, but you have got to go to jail for a, for a month. He says, so I don't know what's going to be in jail for you, but you need you need to go to jail because there's someone in there that you're going to have to say the same way I do. So sometimes a person ends up in a in a place. Where he really doesn't deserve to be there. He really didn't do anything wrong. But he's there because there's someone else in that place that needs him. I'll, I'll just end with this. So I know a girl that wanted to go very, very badly to a certain seminary. And she begged me 
to pull all my connections to get her into this seminary. And I had a lot of connections to get her into that seminary. And no matter what I did, and I worked on this for months, no matter what I did, threatened, I'll give you money, I'll build a dorm. No matter what I did for this girl, the answer was no. Now this was a good girl. There was no reason to say no. Just once one guy said no, the other guy couldn't say yes because he's overstepping him, and then he goes overstepping him. Then I went to the money guy, then I went to the guy he works for. Everybody said hands off. Once he said no, we can't change it, otherwise everyone, everyone else went, ah. And at a certain point, right, even though I was being pushed as a favor that I must do this, and I must get this girl in, I turned to the people who were pushing me and said, Hashem doesn't want it. I mean, I have tried everything. There's a certain point where you just realize... At that point, it was too late to get into a good, a good, good seminary. There was only one seminary that would accept her, a really B seminary. It was in existence for a little while. It's not even in existence anymore, a long time. A B seminary, and she was really upset because she's not a B student, and she ended up going to this seminary. Okay, she was really upset, but she wanted to go to Israel. To make a long story short, she comes to the seminary. I'm telling you, I know the story. It's not someone told me. I was involved in the story. She comes to the seminary, and there's a girl in her room. Right? One of the, there's like three girls in a room. So she gets into the dorm. She doesn't know anyone in the seminary. This is a seminary that all the girls who couldn't get into a seminary went to. Here you have this girl that's, that's a hundred student, great kid, for one, whatever it is, where well, he messed up, he couldn't get her in. To make a long story short, there's a girl there in that room who went through crazy dysfunctional, I and mean, from a crazy dysfunctional home. This girl, who did not belong in that school in any way, becomes this other girl's best friend. To make a long story short, they become best friends after seminary. This girl that ended up in the seminary she doesn't belong, makes this girl from, becomes her best buddy, and ends up, this girl finds a shidduch that she would have never found in a million years. And this girl, no question, the one that wanted that I tried to get in, she went to that seminary, did not have the year she wanted, did not have the friend she wanted. She deserved to go to the better seminary. But she had the personality that could save this other girl. And she talked to save that other girl. So no matter how much Wallerstein, everybody was pushing like the story was pushing, she needed to be there. Talk about the word dysfunction. I'll tell you something I wrote today. So I'm seeing the last four weeks, five weeks, a lot of problems, more than usual. A lot, a lot of problems. Girls, girls, problems with boys, yeshivas, marriages. And I've, I've learned something very interesting. There's two kinds of kids. And both of them have to be treated very differently. There's a, there is a dysfunctional child who's living in a normal home. In other words, the parents are great. Nobody, nobody, nobody molested them, nobody did anything to them. The environment is perfect, right? The parents are beautiful people. The child is dysfunctional for whatever reason. So that child needs to stay home because she, the child is dysfunctional, but the environment is functional, and we need to get help that child who is dysfunctional become functional. Therapy, whatever we need to do. That's one treatment. But I have met a lot of children that are very functional children. They're really good kids, but they're in such a dysfunctional house. It's such a dysfunctional house. Take them, and, and they're being treated... Right? They're being treated like they're dysfunctional. They're not dysfunctional. They're functional in a dysfunctional home. So the, the refuah for them is just get them out of the, that house. The refuah for the other one, okay, so this kid doesn't need therapy for, on that level, but needs to be taken out because this kid's really functional. Good kid, nice kid, but she's doing crazy things because she's in a crazy place. Take her out of that place. You don't need, you don't need to do anything. This, this girl's gonna blossom and be a Nayudik. The other girl is dysfunctional. Take her out of her house and she will be, she'll crash. So here you are, Rabbi Walsky, why are you telling me that my kid needs a dorm school? And my sister you're telling, don't you dare send her away from home. Either send her, either your, your psychology is send them away from home, or, or don't send them away from home. No. There are many children that are doing bad, are doing things they shouldn't do, but they're really functional children. They're really good children. They're just coming from a dysfunctional place. Get them out of that place 
and you don't have to do anything. They will blossom. You have to do maybe a little bit, but they will blossom. Like, unbelievable. Then you have these kids that are just dysfunctional children. And if you're going to take them out of their environment, the only thing they have functional is their house. God forbid, don't send them out of the house. Get them the therapy that they need. Very, very, very different. Very, very different. So I want to end my share. And I want to make a statement. And I want to say to Hashem, first of all, thank you very much. If I go Hashem, across the toe for... For once I was a shepherd, or much less, and Baruch Hashem, as it's supposed to put a safer out. It's not crazy. Um, so first of all, I want to thank Hashem. But I also want to say to Hashem the following. We, Klai Yisrael, are functional. We're just in a dysfunctional place. Which is gullus. So to fix us, we don't need you surim. We don't have to go through pain. We just need you, because we are functional, just take us out of the dysfunctional place and we'll blossom. Just bring Mashiach. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.